Hello and welcome back friends. I thought we would do something a little bit different. Not that every show's been the same, but what I wanted to do with this episode was uh, prove that some of my high school and middle school teachers were correct about one of those things that we thought we would never need when we got older. And I wanted to look at this and, you know, tying this together with critical racism training. Um, if you haven't been following it because you're bored to tears because of all of it, there's a whole bunch of this person didn't say that when they actually have videos of them saying it. This, It's one of these uh, denying everything, lie about everything, make it confusing. So nobody actually cares. But what I wanted to do is just point out a few movies and that, uh, you know, there's the, the meaning and the story and stuff like that. And I didn't appreciate that this kind of instruction back in the day in high school. So I thought I'd break down some of Hollywood's contributions to color identity, socialist proclivities and such. Enter the movies geared for children. And I thought that uh, Monsters, Inc. and Home are fantastic examples. So if you haven't seen it, and I don't know how you dodged it for all these years, but Monsters, Inc. was kind of cute, right? And, you know, you had... Uh, you had some pretty fantastic stars in there with, uh, you know, Billy Crystal and John Goodman. But the whole thing behind that, that, behind that animated feature was um, the monster world and the human world. And in the monster world, they literally powered everything by the coerced screams of human children. Um, you know, implying that not only does capitalism rely on screams to get by and thrive, but monsters have technology that, uh, that allowed them to break into the human world, terrorize, then retreat after acquiring said scream power. Uh, the thought that no child is safe from these monsters is kind of frightening. Uh, and... The thing about that movie was, towards the end, the, the, an even more sinister plot devised by the owner of the company, you know, who's been, the, the, the family's held the company for generations, uh, was it James Colbert, um, the voice uh, thereof. Um, so the owner of that company, who's been struggling to keep the doors open to this business. Don't ask me what competition would have driven them out of business. They never re referenced that other source of energy to, you know, power a society, uh, the monster world. So that owner decides that they would do better if they would kidnap human children to, and then extract screams from those children with the new machine. And the, that whole thing... Um, it's kind of an attack on the greed and and such within capitalism, and that uh, the thought that one race or you know an alien monster world of several races, that this other world would harness the fear of children. Um, I don't know, maybe climate change. 
you know. So there are there, that type of instruction we had back then about critically observing, uh, you know, books and movies and such kind of paid off because you could watch this and realize well, some kind of message in there. Now, home was pretty, was very cute. You know, Jim Parsons, what, Rihanna, Jennifer Lopez and stuff. Um, so this is how they soften their target. It's with cutesy movies like this that your children will enjoy and the parents watch and go, wow, there's some strange messaging in the back of this. So it was a blockbuster movie, Home. Um, and there are many evil colonizer, plunderer, kind of concepts in the storyline here. So first you have a docile, diminutive uh, alien species, the, you know, uh, the Gorg. Uh, and they kind of travel around inside a um, rather menacing suit. You know, they're like starfish, but they travel around in a big spiky suit. Um, the Gorg have their entire next generation of offspring stolen by the hapless Captain Smack, played by the inimitable Steve Martin, uh, because he's a fearful fleeing race of people, the Boove, you know. They, so he's the leader of this cowardly, uh, well, he, perhaps he makes them cowardly uh, with his poor leadership. But the they're relatively advanced compared to earthlings right the booth and then the gorg are slightly ahead of them but they have you seeing um, an entire generation of offspring the entire future of uh, of an alien species stolen because of an act of uh, by the act of a coward sort of so there's some uh, just picture that right so the booth easily take over uh, Earth, relocate all humans. And um, we're supposed to thank the Boove because everything is set up. You know, there's tiny homes and carnivals replete with ice cream and fun and things and circuses or whatever. Um, the Boove are short, slow, have no idea how anything actually works on Earth. They eat bizarre things like nuts and bolts and... Uh, drink motor oil. They change colors linked to their cur current mood and everything. And most importantly, they are hatched and raised to conduct lives of consummate isolation and dedicated to uh, productivity. The, you know, they're little worklings. So uh, their lives are dedicated to that work. And they actually refer to downtime as the leisure minute. So they're, they're totally dedicated to work without much of a break. No relaxing, no, no enjoyment, sort of. Um, now, that last remaining Gorg, who is supposed to, you know, hatch these little tiny starfish that are stuck in like a, a rock, a cryogenic rock thing that uh, Steve Martin and Captain Smack stole. Um, they use that suit... So you, you, you're to think that these other races, these other species are, are you know, are very frightening. Uh, but they're very docile, the little starfish people. And 
once it reacquires that nursery rock, uh, you know, with all the the next generation in it, um, every other gorg can come out. It only stands to reason um, that throughout this whole movie that humans were trapped and taken to Australia, which doesn't sound so bad most of the time, right? Um, so we're all put on an island, which there's references to that, you know, within that too, uh, having been in prison and such. Uh, but it only stands to reason that the immigrant, an awkward immigrant daughter of a single mom, I believe they're like from Jamaica or something, um, in New York City is able to turn this galactic catastrophe around and teach everyone in the different races, species, to get along in the movie because she got an A in geometry. That's, that's her claim to fame. So even after her friend O, the, uh, the star Boov, right, uh, lied to her several times to try and evade capture from fellow Boov, we're supposed to focus on the fact that the human and the Boov heroes, Tip and O, were outsiders. They were more or less kind of the ostracized people. Um, and that Tip struggled to acclimate to American life, uh, you know, in New York City. And um, that O was supposed to be erased or zapped out of existence for making so many mistakes. Uh, the whole thing is laughable. Part of it, you know, I mean, like I said, the as a movie, it's cute, but you're not supposed to really notice any of these references to uh, human beings as uh, a dominant culture and other cultures and the struggles between them. So there's a lot of learning one might extract from these movies, um, and I'm not really, you know, a skilled veteran kind of uh, media critic. So if somebody were to actually sit down and do this, uh, you would probably obtain much more desirable and efficient results than what I've done in just a few minutes. But these are the things we expose our children to. And they watch these movies over and over and over. So um, this is kind of how they're minds work and see things and process things when they enter elementary school or middle school. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. And let's close this out as a reminder that the um, Alamosa, Colorado case of James Marshall comes up beginning, I believe, July 2nd. And this is the guy that I've spoken of in several previous episodes that... Uh, realized that BLM protesting on the street was not having, was not changing America fast enough. So when one of the people drove past their protest site, he shot a um, disabled veteran in the back of the head, uh, claiming that he tried to hit his wife with his vehicle. But there was security footage, CCTV, thank God, across the street. So let's keep an eye on that one. And I wondered how this would work if people who don't think you should be shot in the head for driving your vehicle to go pick up dinner, um, I wonder if these people made it clear in Colorado that 
they're not going to put up with it. And there's going to be a big problem if they just let this weirdo criminal defense attorney go. Kind of like what we just found out about FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith, who surely has been making money over the last year. It was August of 2020 when he, you know, put in his, they accepted his plea deal, uh, guilty of falsifying evidence to the FISA court. And I believe they're going to have a hearing for him or they're going to, they, there's some sort of motion that they, they're going to say that uh, one year suspension from the bar in D.C. is adequate and satisfactory punishment. Now, here's the crazy part. The hearing's July. They're going to they're gonna be in court on July 19th. But the end of the year is August 1st because they made that retroactive to the date of the acceptance of the plea deal, I guess, or something like that. Bizarre. So basically, in the, uh, one year is actually going to be like two weeks. And... Uh, it's kind of strange. So, uh, oh well. But I guess when you do deep state, deep state do do a favor. There's you shouldn't have to suffer. That, that this is basically like Congress's bailout BLM fund, so they can go back out and hurt more people in the same night of rioting. And it's of course absolute bullshit. So let's just try and keep an eye on some of this stuff, everybody. Take care, everybody, and God bless. <laughs>